TheYeshiva.net. Good morning, everybody. Today's class will dedicate, of course, to our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Our hearts are with you. Our souls are with you. Our minds are with you. Strengthening you, sending you all the love and blessings, davening for you. May Hashem protect all of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and all of the good people there and the world over. May we experience the La Yehudim Hoysa Eira Vesimcha Vesasim Vikar, Kain Tiyalano Betayv Hanirva I shared yesterday, we had a session with London about the war in Ukraine and about um, serenity, inner serenity during uncertain times was with some communities in London, United Synagogue communities. So I shared some of my, about my conversations that I had with five of the shluchim, five of the Chabad shluchim who are in Ukraine. Sumi and Chernigov and Odessa and Mariupol and Kiev. So this is a very, obviously a very, very intense time. And since the Jewish people are like one organism, one body, one superorganism. So as we know, when it comes to exercise and physical health, when you, when you uh, stretch or when you repair or when you enhance or when you strengthen one part of the body, every part of the body benefits because this is a singular circulation system. And therefore, one part of the body directly affects the other part of the body, and there's a central nervous system in which the entire body is integrated. And the same is true spiritually with the Jewish people. So whenever a Jew anywhere in the world or a Jewish community empowers itself in the United States of America or anywhere else in the world, by osmosis, consciously and unconsciously, by ways we know and ways we don't know, it strengthens the entire organism. It strengthens the entire body. So our learning today... We'll daven today in their merit and in their schus. And may we see a Yeshua and a Geula very speedily in our days. So, we are now in the month of Adar 1. We're soon entering into the month of Adar 2. So today we're going to start something new. If you haven't opened your source sheets, please open your source sheets. If you're on Zoom, you can go to chat and you'll see that the link to the source sheet is there. You can also get it on the yeshiva.net. And as you see on the top, Beis Samachdalad, which means Beseyat HaDeshmaya, with God's grace, Purim, Maimer Beis Tovshin Yud Zayin. This is a Maimer, a Hasidic Chabad discourse that was said, presented by the Lubavitcher Rebbe on Purim during the Fabrengen, Tovshin Yud Zayin, which would be 19... 57. That's how many years ago? Yud Zayin, Chav Zayin, Lamad Zayin, Mem Zayin, Nun Zayin, Samach Zayin, Ayin Zayin. That's exactly 65 years ago. Somebody's asking for the source sheets. If you just go up a little bit, go up a little bit in the chat, scroll up a little bit, and you'll see a link to the source sheets. It says in parentheses, Maimer Beis, the second Maimer. And what that means is that... Uh, Usually, usually, just a little bit of a history introduction. Usually, the Chabad Rebbes, their Torah, the way they communicated their Torah was through two avenues. 
One was called Maimorim and one was called Sichis. Especially by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, by the Rebbe, when he would have his Fabrengens, his public large Torah gatherings on Shabbos or on Yom Tif or in the middle of the week, special days, special occasions, holidays, of course. Most of the Fabrengen was made up of Sichis. And then there was one section that was made up of a Maimer. What's the difference? A Maimer is a discourse that focuses on explaining and revealing a concept and an experience of Chabad Hasidus. So a Maimer could go anywhere from 15 minutes to a half an hour to an hour or somewhere in between. The Rebbe would usually close his eyes. They would sing a special melody before. People would stand up. In the middle of the niggin, he would tie a handkerchief on his hand, as the previous rabbis would do. And there was a, an ambiance of intensity in the air. And then the Rebbe would begin the Maimer with a special song. It would start with a Pasuk, or with a Maimer Chazal, with a statement of our sages. And it would go in to really explore a theme a major fundamental theme in Jewish spirituality, Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, Chassidus. It could be focus on the purpose of creation. It could focus on what a soul is. It can focus on the spiritual chemistry, the spiritual science of the universe. For example, the spheres. It can focus on, it could focus on the human personality, dissecting the human personality, understanding the conflicts within a person, understanding the various parts of a person. It could focus on explaining a certain aspect about Torah or about mitzvahs or about davening or about learning or anything as part of Judaism exploring the spiritual dimension of it. That's a mimer. And the Rebbe would finish it. He would open his eyes, take off the handkerchief. There was a song afterwards. But most of the fabrengen was made up of sikhs. What are sikhs? Sikhs means talks. And here, there was less of a formal structure. The sikhs could encompass and discuss almost everything. It could discuss a Rashi on the Parsha. It could discuss a Zayr on the Parsha. It could discuss a Siyum of a tractate in, in, in Gemara, a Hadron on the whole Shas. It could discuss something about education or something contemporary going on in the world or going on in Eretz Yisrael or the future of Judaism or Jewish continuity or Jewish education or a particular crisis in the world or a particular dilemma among the Jewish people. It can explore issues in Hashkafa or in Machshava in contemporary Jewish life, it can talk about this. It could be a state of the a state of the of, of the Jewish people address. Literally, it talk about the themes of the parsha. Talk about a theme in halacha, a pilpul rishayim achrayim. So most of the rebbe's fabrengas were made up of sikhs. and usually there was one section that was reserved for a mimer. And this is how it was by most fabrengas. There were a few times that he said more than one mimer in one fabrengas. And Purim Tavshin Yudzai and Purim 57 is one of those times. And that's why it says Purim Maimer base. Because earlier in the Fabrengen, there was another Maimer. There was a, a, a Maimer that he said earlier. Now, why at this Fabrengen did he say a second Maimer? So later, I hope at the end, I'll tell you a little bit of the history of what happened before the second Maimer. But let's now begin. This is just an introduction. Purim Maimer base Tavshin Yudzai. Like every Maimer, beginning with the Balatanya, it always begins either with a Pasuk, thing, or with a statement of our sages. This starts with a Pasuk, and of course a very famous Pasuk that comes from Parshish Kiseitse, and of course it's the verse that's read right before Purim, what's called Shabbos Zacher. 
the Shabbos of remembrance. And the reason it's called Shabbos Zacher, of course, is because that's the Shabbos when we read Parsha Zacher, when we read that special section of Parsha's Kisetzi, the book of Deuteronomy, which tells us about remembering, remember what Amalek did for you. And in fact, much of the celebration of Purim is that. In fact, the reading of the Torah on Purim is... Again, about the war of Amalek against the Jewish people and Hashem telling the Jewish people they should always remember what Amalek did in Parshas B'Shalach. And, uh, you know, when we read the Megillah and they mention Haman or Haman ben Amdas, everybody claps, pop, 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 the graggers come out. It's also part of remembering what Amalek did for us since, as our sages say, Haman was a descendant of Amalek, of the original Amalek and of the nation called Amalek, which came and was originated by the man named Amalek, who was a grandfather, a grandson of Esav. Esav had a son, his name was Eliphaz, and Eliphaz had a son whose name was Amalek. Remember what Amalek did, did, did to you. Again, this is a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. As you see in footnote number one, on this verse, there is a medrash, a teaching of our sages in the oral tradition known as medrash. Where is this medrash? If you look in footnote two, you see every source, every statement here, every reference is sourced in numbers. So on the bottom, you could see the source. Pirkid Rabbi Eliezer, Perik Mem Dala, the famous medrash known as the chapters of Rabbi Eliezer that comes from the great Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer Hagadol, Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkanus, who was the Rebbe of Rebbe Akiva, lived during the first century after the common era, during the era of the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash and afterwards. And his medrash is called the chapters of Rabbi Eliezer, chapter 44. And there's also other sources, Yalkut Shemaini, Kiseitse, Tanchuma Parshas Kiseitse. What does the medrash say? It's a fascinating medrash. Amrulai, Amrulai Yisrael. The Jewish people, Yisrael, turned to their master and they said, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher, we have an issue. We have a major problem. One verse in the Torah says, remember what Amalek did to you. Another verse in the Torah says, remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. Of course, we know where these two psukim are. The first one I just mentioned is in Kiseitse. The second one is part of the Ten Commandments. It's part of the Aseris Adibris and Parshas Yisrael. Remember the day of Shabbos so that you can sanctify it. We say it in the Kiddush, in the preparation of the Kiddush, Shabbos morning. How can they both coexist? This one we have to remember, and this one we have to remember. There is a conflict of interest. They seem mutually exclusive. You're telling me, remember what Amalek did to you. You're also telling me, remember Shabbos. The Jewish people say, Moshe, our teacher Moshe. They cannot coexist. Either you remember one or you remember the other. How can they both exist together? Zezacher v'zezacher. Remember this and remember this. Now, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you're thinking, what's the question, right? Very good. The Rebbe is going to address that. But let's hear the Medrash. Amalah Moshe. Moshe responds, Loidoyme kois shel kunditun le kois shel chaymets. Zekois v'zekois. 
We don't compare a cup of wine to a cup of vinegar, even though they're both cups. Wine fills the goblet and vinegar fills the goblet. They're both cups, but they're completely non, non-comparable. Zohar lishmar l'kadosh Hashem ha-Shabbos v'zeh The two remembrances are very different. When it comes to Shabbos, you remember Shabbos in order to preserve it, in order to sanctify it, in order to confer upon it a sense of holiness and serenity and tranquility, a sense of festivity. Shabbos is a day that we protect Shomer by, enga- by disengaging, by, by staying away, by abstaining from the various labors of Shabbos, various labors that would compromise the sanctity of Shabbos. Shabbos, in a positive sense, we imbue the day with Kedusha, with sanctity in addition to its own sanctity. Here, we also remember Amalek, but we don't remember Amalek to protect Amalek, to sanctify Amalek, to confer special holiness on Amalek. On the contrary, it's to penalize Amalek. It's to, it's to penalize, to punish Amalek. That's the Medrash. Now here is a classic example. You read a Medrash, and you don't understand. Medrashim are not created, God forbid, just to entertain people, because the Tanakh is not enough, so we need some extra entertainment. The Medrash is here to bring out the nuanced, intricate depths, depth of each Pasuk. I discussed this with you many times about different Medrashim. You may remember the class about what our sages in the Medrash and the Gemara talk about, Batya coming to visit, coming to bathe in the Nile, and she extends her hand to fetch and retrieve the basket in which baby Moshe is present, and our sages say her hand, her arm extended. That's a famous medrash. Like, where did they see it in the verse? Why would they go there? Every medrash, as we discussed numerous, numerous times, is here to fill in the gaps, to give us the deeper layer of meaning, of significance, to allow the ultimate message to resonate with us and to give us the full harmony of the ballad of Torah. Now, when you read this medrash, they tell Moshe Rabbeinu, you said remember Shabbos, you said remember Amalek, they can't coexist, impossible. So Moshe says, no, there's a cup of vinegar, there's a cup of wine, they're both cups, and they could both exist. Over here, remembering Shabbos to sanctify, here you remember Amalek, asks the Lubavitcher Rebbe in this Maim of Etzarech need We need to understand this Medrash. Mahu I don't understand their question. Why can't we maintain in our mind both of these remembrances? I want to ask you a question, everybody who's listening here. There's only one thing in your life that you remember. We could remember various things, and sometimes we remember great moments, and sometimes we remember difficult moments. That's how memory works. When you go down memory lane, you don't only have one memory. Even consciously, there's so many things that we constantly bring to the fore every single day. How many memories do you have? Memories come up. Some memories we repress. Some memories we suppress. But there are memories that are part of our lives and we can hold in our brain (laughs) more than one memory, more than one remembrance. I don't understand, he says. They're telling Moshe Rabbeinu, sorry, they're mutually exclusive. (laughs) He's sky mushneim. 
I don't understand. Why can't you have both? In fact, there are other items in Judaism, other pieces of history, other truths, other fundamental ideas that we have an obligation to remember every day. In Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, in Erechaim, Simon Samach, in the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, Shulchan Aruch Harav, quoting the Magan Avram, he says in footnote 5, he discusses the obligation every day to remember either four things or six things, in fact, some people have a custom after davening to explicitly mention the six things that we're supposed to remember every day. The first thing is the Torah remember, asks us to remember every single day Yitzhiyas Mitzam, the Exodus of Egypt. The second thing the Torah asks us to remember is Maimon Har Sinai, the moments we stood at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. The third thing is Zachar Sashras Amalek, remember what Amalek did. The other thing is to remember the eagle, the fact what we did, we created the calf. There's another remembering the Torah wants us to remember what God did for Miriam. And then there's the remembrance of Amalek, six things. So why don't they ask, well, one second, if we're remembering Shabbos, how could we remember the Egel? How could we remember Mount Sinai? How could we remember Miriam? And the answer is, people can remember more than one thing. So why can't Moshe say, remember Shabbos and remember Amalek? <laughs> they say, no. What's the question? Now let's analyze the answer. What was Moshe's answer? What is the novelty that Moshe brought to them in his answer? What did he tell them? Just don't get confused. Here you're remembering Shabbos in a positive way. Here you're remembering Amalek in a negative way. Shabbos is a positive memory. You remember Shabbos. In other words, you focus on Shabbos. You tune into Shabbos. You think about Shabbos. You prepare for Shabbos. You turn Shabbos into a special day. Amalek, you also focus on Amalek, but for what? For penalization. What's the Chiddush of Moshe? What did the Jews think before? That Shabbos should be remembered as a horrible day that should be blotted out of our memory and Amalek should be glorified and celebrated? What exactly is Moshe communicating to them and answering their question? First of all, is what's their question? Second of all, how is Moshe answering their question? By saying, by the way, you're not remembering the same thing. And what's his Chiddush? What's his novelty? <laughs> Certainly, when Moshe gave them over the mitzvah, remember the day of Shabbos, what did they think that he means, remember the day of Shabbos, to destroy it, to penalize it, to blot it, blot it out of your life, to kill it, to desecrate it? Obviously, explain to them, remember the day of Shabbos, to make it holy. Kedrashah's chazal. As our sages explain and interpret that verse, remember what Amalek did, remember, remember Shabbos, what do Chazal say on that Pasuk in the Mechilta? Kacheyo b'maychel, kacheyo b'mishta, sanctified with special food, sanctified with special beverages, sanctified with beautiful clothing, sanctify it with a clean garment, with a, with a tablecloth, with creating a festive meal and a festive home. Kacheyo alayayin, sanctified through a cup of wine, which is what we do, we make Kiddush. And the Kiddush that we make is a direct fulfillment of the mitzvah. You take a cup of wine, you make Kiddush, that is the mitzvah. When he gave them the commandment to remember what Amalek did to them, he right away explained, you should blot out the memory of Amalek. You should delete and obliterate the memory of Amalek. 
Suddenly, Moshe, it seems like he's telling them a big chiddush, a novel idea. Shabbos, you remember in a good way. A Malik, you remember in a negative way. And through this, the question of how they can both coexist is answered. The question doesn't seem to make sense. And the answer doesn't seem to provide any novel idea and also doesn't answer the question, whatever the question is. From this whole discussion of the Medrash, we can deduce So we have to conclude as follows. There is some fundamental contradiction when it comes to these two remembrances. Remembering Shabbos and remembering Amalek. There is something that embody there's something here that is uh that creates an internal conflict. And it made the Jewish people feel that they cannot maintain both of them in their minds, in their bodies, they cannot harbor both of these memories. And the only way it's possible, and this is what Moshe was telling them, is only when they understand that this memory is in order to preserve and sanctify Shabbos, and this memory is to penalize our Moloch. So that's what, it's it's clear, but what does this mean? Gam lahavin, another question asks, This is an amazing and a fantastic and such an important question. It teaches you how to learn, how to think, the methodology of learning Medrash. Why does Moshe give this metaphor about a cup of wine and a cup of vinegar? And he says, this is a cup and this is a cup. Whenever our sages or the Torah introduces a metaphor, a parable, an allegory, it's not just, you know, why not? There's a reason for it. There's something that is explained or clarified through this metaphor. Moshe could say, his message very, very clearly without discussing a cup, a cup of vinegar versus a cup of, 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 of rich, uh, exotic and delicious wine. He could say, there, you remember Shabbos in the positive sense and you remember Hamalik in the negative sense. So Moshe says, no, let me give you a metaphor. And the metaphor is, there are two beverages and they're both in goblets, they're both in kaisas, they're both in cups. One is wine and one is vinegar. What, but they're both in cups. <laughs> this is a cup and this is a cup. This is a glass or this is a glass. This is a goblet. This is a goblet. But they're very different. Okay. How does this add understanding into his message? What would be misunderstood without this? This is the first chapter of the Maimer with the Rebbe presented his question. So the summation of this chapter is, he quoted the verse, Zachar is Asher he quoted the Medrash explaining the verse, and he raised three fundamental problems with this Medrash. Number one, the question doesn't seem to be understood. We don't understand what's bothering them. Number two, even if we under, even if you figure out what's bothering them, we don't understand Moshe Rabbeinu's answer. How does his answer respond to the question? And what's the novelty in his answer? He seems to be saying something obvious. Number three, he gives this metaphor which seems to be completely superfluous, excessive, and unnecessary. 
Okay, before I go on, let me take a question. If I could just clarify something, you mentioned that most of the Rebbe's Fabrengans were comprised of sikhs, of talks, and usually there was one mimer which focused on a sugya, on a theme in Hasidus. Does that mean in the sikhs there were no Hasidic themes? No, no, no. Sometimes he could dedicate a sikh or two for Hasidic themes as well. I told you the sikhs could discuss and they spanned and they covered almost any topic within Torah, within Yiddishkeit, and almost any topic under the sun. Literally. But the Maimer was focused on a, on, on, on a Hasidic sugi. What about, these were the spoken words, but what about the unspoken, non-verbal eye contact, singing, Nagunim Lechayims? Yes, between talk and talk, the Rebbe would take a break. The break could be five minutes, ten minutes, or sometimes twenty minutes or more. And they would sing a song. Sometimes they would sing more than one song, and that's when people would say Lechayim. The Rebbe would look at the crowd, sometimes people would come over to talk or ask something, etc. Question. Remember to blot out Amalek. Remember to blot out the name of Amalek. Yes. They find that to be a contradiction with Shabbos. But I have another problem. If you blotted out the memory of Amalek, how could you remember him? There's nothing to remember because you blotted him out of your memory. Okay, great question. So literally the answer is, it doesn't mean you remember him and you blot him out so that you don't remember him. It means, you should, like Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, you should always remember the toxicity of Amalek. You should always remember the danger of Amalek so that you could be on alert not to allow Amalek to infiltrate your ranks, not physically and not spiritually. It's, it's, it's that heightened alertness to the danger of Amalek. You ask why Moshe used this metaphor of the cups, the two cups. But we know many people who use long lists of synonyms, which basically are repetitive, and they don't add anything. <clears throat> ahum, ahum, ahum. Okay. <laughs> Guilty as accused. <laughs> okay, first of all, Moshe Rabbeinu was not just any person. If Moshe Rabbeinu is giving a metaphor, there's a meticulous reason for it. It's not just for... Why not? That's number one. Number two, even not Moshe Rabbeinu, even a professional communicator on a much lower level than Moshe Rabbeinu, if you're telling, if you're giving a metaphor or a parable, there's a reason for it. You need to justify it. It's not like this dramatic metaphor that may lure the crowd into your uh, charisma. It's like a, you start with a story, or you start with, with, with some dramatic uh, event or episode or joke, etc. Here it's a very parable about two cups of wine, so there's obviously something we're not getting in his response. Now, of course, the third question is a direct continuation to the first two questions, because if we have the answer to the first two questions, then we'll understand the third, and we'll see that for his message, he has to introduce the concept of the cups. Very good questions. Siv Beis, let's go to section 2. Well, Hovinza, to understand this, we have to introduce first and foremost, the explanation to what our sage is saying, Gemara, Meseches, Megillah, Davzayin, Omid Beis, Tractate Megillah, page 7b. The Gemara says, Omar Rav, Rav said, Chayev inish lebesume bepurye adelayada bein arur hamon shumizera amolek leborach mardechai. 
a person is obligated to become inebriated on Purim, as Rashi says there, to become inebriated, to become drunk on wine on the day of Purim, to the point that he does not know, he becomes unaware. He does not know anymore the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mardechai. And the Rebbe says, what's the connection to this issue? Because as we know, Haman was a descendant. He was from the progeny. He was from the seed of Amalek. In fact, that's why many commentators explain he's called Haman Ha'agogi. What is Agogi? So the Targum Shani for Esther, Megillus Esther Perigimel explains Haman comes from Agog. Agog was the king of Amalek, who came from Amalek, and he is the king that Shoal, Shoal Amalek, hundreds of years before the story of Esther and Haman. Shoal Amalek, the first king of the Jewish people, King Saul, captured Agog, Shmuel killed him, Shmuel the prophet killed him. So Haman came from his seed. So our sages tell us on Purim, you're obligated to be inebriated until you don't know the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mardachah which at first glance and even at second glance is very difficult to fathom, very difficult to comprehend because, number one, why would you not want a person to know the difference between that which is cursed and that which is blessed? Isn't that the function of all good education? Teaching your children wrong from right? Teaching them the difference between that which is cursed and that which is blessed? teaching them the difference between those pathways in life or those behaviors in life that are toxic, that are destructive, that are counterproductive, that confer curses upon the world, to those pathways in life that produce blessings in the world? Isn't that what we hope for every person? If I would tell you that you're living in a community or you're living near neighbors or you're living among people who don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai, that's moral relativism where there's absolutely no difference between the two, that's scary. And yet on Purim, on Purim, that day when we celebrate the victory of Mardachai, Chazal say, you should get so inebriated until you don't know the difference. What does this mean? And of course, there's a bigger question here. If you don't know the difference, then why are you celebrating? The whole reason we celebrate Purim is because Mardachai was triumphant and Haman was defeated. If there's no difference between the two, then you're pulling the rug out from the entire zeitgeist, from the entire reason dietra of Purim. <laughs> so if you don't know the difference between the two, then stop the party. The celebration should cease. So one explanation in this is, based on what's explained in the writings of the Arizal. The Arizal was Rabbeinu Yitzchok Luria. Arizal stands for, it's an acronym, Adoineinu, Rabbeinu Yitzchok, Zichroinu Levracha. Our master, Rabbi Yitzchok, because the Arizal's name was Yitzchok, Rabbi Yitzchok Luria. So they call it Lurianic Kabbalah, Rabbi Yitzchok Luria, who of course lived in Svas for two years, the last two years of his life, until his passing, Shin Lamed Beis, 1572. At the very young age of 36, buried in Svas. And one of the writings of the Arizal, the Arizal has many books that were transcribed by his students, but there's one famous section called Shar HaKavonis. Shar HaKavonis means the portal to meditations. And that's where the Arizal goes through the various prayers and festivities and holidays throughout the year and discusses the Kavonis, the appropriate meditations for each holiday, including Purim. And in the section of Purim at the end, this is what Arizal tells us. 
שהפירוש בזה הוא כפשוטי. The meaning <coughs> in these words is literal. שיחלף. That you should actually substitute. You should actually become so confused, so to speak, that instead of saying, cursed is Haman and blessed is Mardukhai, you should say the opposite. Blessed is Haman. Udeloi kanal. Unlike we explained earlier, this is a very interesting parenthesis. What does he mean? In the first Maimer. In that Fabreng in Purim, Tavshin Yudzai, 1957, as I told you, the Rebbe said, to Maimara. Very rare that he did so, but he did so a few times. So one time he said, three Maimara, on a Shabbos, but usually it was only one Maimar. But there were times that he said uh, a second Maimar. By the way, one of the, the first time was Purim 1953. Purim 1953, it was already close to dawn, at three, around 3 in the morning, 3.30, 3.30. And the Rebbe suddenly started to say a second Maimar about Haman. And Al-Kain Karul, I made a Purim, Hashem Apur. It's a whole, it's an amazing story I heard from Rebbe Yael Khan. And uh, it was the time that Stalin, Stalin died or Stalin fell ill. The Maimar was connected to that. Okay, but that's not for now. I'm just thinking about Russia and Ukraine, etc. The point here is that in the first Maimer of that Fabrengen, the Maimer was Chayev Inishla Besome Bepuria. So the Rebbe explained there, confusing, not knowing the difference. He explained it from a different angle, from a different perspective. So now he's saying that Rizal doesn't accept it. He says, literally, you should exchange, you should substitute. You should, instead of saying, cursed is Haman, you should say, blessed is Haman. You shouldn't know the difference. Usually we say, blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. Sheyachlif. You should substitute. There should be hachlofa, zechalifosi. <laughs> you, should, you should exchange it. Because you're inebriated, you could say, blessed is Mordechai. That's what Arizal says. Unlike we explained in the earlier Maimir, a spiritual explanation. Here it means literal. But it's only one way, not the other way. It doesn't mean you should be inebriated to the point that you say, cursed chas v'shalom is Mordechai. That doesn't happen. All that can happen is, says Darizal, instead of saying, cursed is Haman, you should say, blessed is Haman. That's what the Gemara means. That even Haman gets a baruch, even Haman gets a blessing. It doesn't mean the other way around, that, Haman, that Mordechai, God forbid, gets the opposite of a blessing. It works only one way. Because even when a Jew is inebriated, he or she is connected. And the Arizal explains, and this is going to be the major theme of this Maimah, what he means. But now he's quoting the Kabbalistic, mystical words of the Arizal. So if you don't understand it, that's fine. These are profound Kabbalistic concepts from the teachings of the Arizal that Hasidus comes and enlightens and elaborates and explains, and most importantly, applies viscerally to our physical and daily lives. Mavayir explains the Arizal Shakavana Bazahu. The meaning in this is Kila Oilam Toicha Klipa Yashnitsut Shalgdusha Hameir Besoicho Machayaisa. Always within Klipa. Klipa means a shell, a husk. That's what Klipa is. Klipa. In, in Yiddish, klippa is a shalachts, a banana peel is called a klippa. An orange peel is called a klippa. A walnut, an egois, has a very dense and thick shell. You got to crack it, right? You take a nutcracker and you crack it. 
within the klipa, within the haskish, nitzut shel gedusha, meir there's always a spark, a fire, an energy. I mean spiritual energy. I'm not talking here energy in terms of, you know, a scientific energy. We're talking about a spiritual energy. A spark of holiness, which is meir, which is manifested in her. It shines in her and it actually vivifies her. It gives her chiyus. It animates, it gives her life. Says Darizal, that's why. On Purim, the Jew ought to be able to instinctively say, Baruch Haman, blessed is Haman, Lahamshech Incredible words. In order to draw down light to that spark. In every clip, in every shell, there is a spark of Kedusha. When the Jew says, Baruch Haman, blessed is Haman, he brings forth or she brings forth light that is drawn, that is gravitating, that is directed towards that spark which is in the klipa, in the husk. And hence, Darizal says, the only way you can say this is without kavana, without premeditative deliberation. Only after one is inebriated, one is drunk, and the person has left his das, he went out of his rational senses. He, he, he's beyond his das, his rational mind. So the regular priorities and reckoning and choices are gone. The person is drunk. Because if, God forbid, you're going to say Baruch Haman with intention, with kavana, with meditative preparation. In other words, with deliberation. Kavana means I'm intentionally saying blessed is Haman. Then, oy, you're going to draw down the light, not just to the spark that's embedded within the husk, but also to the husks themselves, to the klippas themselves. Chas v'shalom, heaven forbid. Ad kan this is a quote from the Harizal. Atkan means till here is the quote. From now begins the Rebbe's explanation. Vahainu, what is the Harizal telling us here? When our sages are saying that I'm Purim, you have to be so inebriated that you don't know the difference between cursed is Haman and blessed is Mardachai. It means. Not just words. The Jew should be drunk. Blessed is Haman. Blessed is Haman. It really means you're blessing. You're sublimating. You're elevating. You're accessing. You're, you're, you're bringing up. You're extricating the spark of Kedusha that is buried, that is embedded in the klipa, in the shell of Haman. You want to excavate it. That's the Baruch Haman. This is similar to what's explained in various Hasidic works about what the Gemara says in Meseches Gitten Dafnun Zayin, the fifth chapter of Gitten Hanizakin. The Gemara says, from the grandchildren of Haman, there were those who learned Torah and taught Torah in public. And the Gemara identifies the city, in fact, there's another Gemara. It didn't make it into all the prints, but you have it in Chesron Hashas, that one of those descendants, one of the descendants of Haman, 
you had some of the great sages that came ultimately from Haman. What does this mean? It means, why, why, first of all, how can it happen? Second of all, how can, why do the sages tell this to us? So the Rebbe says it's the same point. There is some nitzutz. It's very, this is very heavy. There is some nitzutz. There's some spark in Haman. Obviously covered over, eclipsed. Baruch Haman is to draw down light into that spark. I can only do this when I'm inebriated. We're still going to see what that means. If I do it with deliberation, with kavana, with my das, oh, yeah, 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 not good. A whole year you don't say, blessed is Haman. I'm Purim. In that state you could say, blessed is Haman. That's what he's saying. Amnam, ha'in in the baruch Haman, sarichliz ba'if in the loyada dafka. The only way you could bless Haman is if it's in a way of loyada. You don't know. You don't know that you're blessing Haman. Ad loyada. It's a very, very subtle interpretation. He's not just saying you bless Haman. You become inebriated on Purim ad loyada until you don't know the difference. He says the person has to be in a state of loyada, of not knowing. Only then can they bless Haman. Because only when a person graduates and a, uh, uh, leaves, emancipates himself or herself from their das, from their cerebral understanding, only when they stop wrapping their brain around reality, defining reality in terms of something that one can comprehend and understand. And the person elevates himself or herself to a state of consciousness that is that is higher, that is deeper than knowledge, awareness, and understanding. Only then am I in a position where I can select, where I can separate, and where I can sublimate the holy spark of Haman. But if I say, blessed is Haman, before I reach the state of Layada, when I'm not in a state of Adalayada, when I'm in a state of Das, that's when I say blessed Haman. He says, then the blessing can reach Haman himself. Not just the spark of holiness that is buried in Haman that you want to excavate, but it can reach Haman himself, the outer Haman. And if that happens, it's not good because Haman is a dangerous person. Haman is an evil person. So the only way you could reach that place, says Darizal, is if you're inebriated. And here inebriated, as we're going to see, is much more than, okay, I'm drunk, I don't know what's happening with myself. It's a deep, deep avoid. <laughs> As you know, Purim is the deepest day. Purim is not, some people think Purim is, uh, you know, that's a <laughs> it's a lightheaded day. No, Purim is a day of loyada. Purim is a day when I can go beyond das. Aha, when you go beyond your das, adaloyada. It doesn't mean adaloyada till you don't know the difference because you're so drunk, you don't know what's happening with yourself. He's saying you elevate yourself to a place of loyada, of not knowing. Then you could say Baruch Haman. The only way a Jew could say blessed is Haman for it to really be a blessing is if it's not with kavana. If it's coming with kavana, in other words, if it's coming with my conscious deliberation and intention, 
I could make more problems. I could become part of the problem, not part of the solution. It can only happen, as Darizal says, when he's a shikir v'yotzam which the Rebbe explains, doesn't mean yotzam idaitai is meshuga. Yotzam means meshuga, meshuga, in a very, very deep way, where I go beyond self-consciousness, where I go beyond das, as we will see. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.